Welcome to the HBG Bible Talks podcast, where we do simple, focused reading and discussion from God's Word, the Bible. I'm Stephen. And I'm Chase. We are Bible teachers in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and we're excited to get into the Word and to share it with others. So we are uh, getting into episode 10 today. Um, In episode 9, Mark chapter 8, uh, Jesus has... Uh, healed a blind man in kind of a strange way in two steps for the first time he saw men like trees walking and then saw clearly and it really illustrates the growing clarity of the disciples of course right after that Jesus um, asks them who do people say that I am and they're like "Eh, he's a good guy maybe one of the prophets but then Peter pipes up and yeah he says uh, you're the Christ you know the Messiah the anointed one and Jesus Good says, answer. yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. But then Jesus says, I'm going to die. And Peter doesn't want to embarrass Jesus yeah. in front of everybody. Yeah, so he pulls him aside and rebukes him. Pulls Jesus aside, tells him, oh, no, that's not going to happen. And Jesus has something harsh to say back, which is, get behind, get me, behind Satan. me, Satan. Right. Um, you're not setting your mind on God's interest, but on man's. And so then Jesus has this power with the disciples and says, listen, I'm going to die, and you need to understand what it means to follow a crucified Messiah. You need to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And so that's where we left off. And I think really today we're getting into Mark 9, starting in verse 2. And this is kind of the the final piece of this seeing Jesus clearly section. Uh, I know we did it in a different episode, but sometimes it's hard to know when to break these things. Yes, <laughs> it's all yes. Mark is originally one big thing. You can read it in one sitting, yeah. ideally. And we kind of hope that these studies have helped encourage people to realize that, that the Bible, and specifically the Gospels, they're a narrative. It's telling a story, and so it's really helpful to just be able to study through these things like this. For sure. So um, we're going to see the transfiguration of Jesus. Uh, sometimes I like to call this the metamorphosis of Jesus, because that that is the word in the original language. Yeah, it's pretty true to the Greek language to, to translate it that way. So that's kind of cool to think about. Yeah. So let's pick up Mark chapter 9. We're beginning in verse 2. We'll read down through verse 13. Mark 9, verse 2. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased as it is written of him. All right, so it's six days after this last encounter that we had, and Jesus takes kind of his three guys. We, we see him using these three guys quite a bit, taking them to see certain things and to the, do certain miracles. The Rock and the Sons of Thunder. Yeah, that's right. The Probably three guys we'd be last to pick. But Jesus takes them 
Peter, James, and John. And he takes them up on this high mountain, just, just the three of them and Jesus, so four people. And the text says he was transfigured before them. And thankfully, we don't have to sit there and wonder and go, oh, man, what does that mean? I wonder what that looked like. Well, it describes for us what it means that Jesus was transfigured. Yeah. And uh, verse 3, his garments became radiant, exceedingly white. Mark tells us that no laundry on earth could make them as white as I always think that's kind of a funny thing. It's like, yeah, laundry guy's got nothing on this. Yeah, this is like a white garment. And then there's Elijah and Moses, and they're just talking with Jesus. Yeah, and I always wonder, how do they recognize them? Like, this would have been incredible. Have name tags or something? I don't know. Uh, maybe they've seen their Facebook pictures. I don't know. <laughs> so, so they... Are there talking with Jesus? This is an amazing moment where Jesus is conversing with two of the great prophets from the past. And of course, some of this goes into the seeing Jesus clearly thing. Some people thought that Jesus was Elijah, and here we see that he's not. Uh, you know, he he is uh, talking with Elijah and Moses in whatever form they were in. And Peter, bless his heart. Uh, I, I like how it's pointed out here. He didn't know what to say because he was afraid. But good old Peter, man. Hey, and he does say, it is good for us to be here. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm happy to be here. I mean, who wouldn't want to see Jesus, Moses, and Elijah having a conversation? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, he doesn't really know what to say or what to do. So he's like, well, how about we build three tabernacles? One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Yeah, mine's version says tents. So oh, okay. I think, I think just the idea is like, Let's let's have them all stay here. Like let's let's all um, continue together. But what's going to happen is Moses and Elijah are are not going to stay. Right. Jesus is going to stay. And so, of course, this is the second time that God's voice speaks out. This is very rare in the Gospels. The first time was when Jesus was baptized, and the second time is here on the Mount of Transfiguration. Yeah. And it's cool to just think through the significance of these three men. You've got Moses who kind of symbolically represents the old law. Mm -hmm. You've got Elijah, who I think symbolically uh, symbolizes the prophets. And then you've got Jesus, the the one who is going to die for our sins and and put into stall or install this new covenant. And so you've kind of got the law, the prophets, and Jesus Christ all right there on the mountain for these disciples to see, which is really cool. And I think that that's part of the significance is right after Peter says, oh, let's, let's, let's keep all three of these guys here. Let's build tents for them so they can stay. And then the cloud overshadows them. The father says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. And then the cloud is gone. They look around and only Jesus is there. Yeah, and Moses like, and Elijah are gone. As we read through Mark, this is, kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? The, the voice coming out of the heaven saying, this is my beloved son. What does that remind us of? The baptism of Jesus. Right. And I think this is obviously Jesus trying to communicate something, and specifically God trying to communicate, communicate something to the disciples. Yeah, you have Elijah. Yeah, you have Moses. But this is my son. Right. And you need to listen to him now. He is the one that you need to pay attention to. That's right. I've always liked to connect this with Hebrews chapter 1. I know we don't usually uh, read other things, but this is just helpful. In Hebrews 1, verse 1, it says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. Mm -hmm. And then he talks about the greatness of the Son. I mean, that's the huge theme of the book of Hebrews. Um, But this is... um, 
This is powerful to think about, that Jesus is greater than Moses and Elijah. He is the very son of God, not just a servant in God's house, but he is the very image of God. And so as we think about this, connecting it with the, you know, men like trees walking kind of from the last chapter, some people see Jesus, well, yeah, he's a good guy. Maybe he's one of the prophets. Well, Peter says, no, you're the Christ. That says a little more clearly, but he doesn't understand that he's a crucified Christ. And so Jesus says, you got to take up your cross and follow me. But now Jesus is not just a crucified Christ, but he is the glorified son of God. Yes. This is my son. And then listen to him. We must submit to him. I mean, the, the clearer we see Jesus, the more we're going to want to say, okay, whatever you say goes, you have all authority in heaven and on earth. And so this is kind of the fourth piece of that, seeing Jesus clearly. Um, and the application for us is simple. We need to listen to Jesus. Yes, amen. So as they're coming down the mountain, uh, Jesus says, don't tell anybody about what you just saw. Of course, they don't even understand what they just saw. Um and that's the, their question is like, why do the scribes say that Elijah must come? Now, they're probably thinking about Malachi 4 verse 5 because it says Elijah is going to come before the great day of the Lord. And they just saw Elijah. So they're like, wait, is this Malachi 4? And Jesus is going to clarify and say, no, actually, that kind of already happened. Um, that... Uh, the Son of Man is going to suffer many things, be treated with contempt. But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as is written of him. And this kind of goes back to the very first podcast that we did, where we were talking about John the Baptist mm -hmm. and a lot of the similarities in look and in teaching that Elijah had, or John the Baptist had to Elijah. That's right. And so, and it's I think it's I think it's in Matthew's account that it says, and so they understood he was talking to them about John the Baptist. Correct. Yes. Uh, this is clearly about John. That John came, and then, of course, he was persecuted, and he was killed. Right. Uh, he was beheaded uh, in the prison by Herod. And I also love pointing out, we won't turn over there and look at it, but when Jesus said that they're not supposed to tell anybody until the Son of Man rose from the dead, Peter writes an epistle, it's First and Second Peter, and uh -huh. in Second Peter 1, 16 through 18, Peter discusses the transfiguration that he witnessed. Yeah. So it's really we cool. There. He follows what Jesus says. He doesn't say anything about it, but after Jesus is risen, he writes about it. That's right. So that brings us to this next account. This is kind of a meanwhile at the bottom of the mountain. Yes. <laughs> What's uh, going on? Yeah. Kind of reminds me of back on Mount Sinai. But coming down to verse 14, when they came back to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and some scribes arguing with them. And immediately when the entire crowd saw him, they were amazed and began running up to greet him. And he asked them, what are you discussing with them? And one of the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought you my son possessed with a spirit which makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground, and he foams at the mouth, and he grinds his teeth and stiffens out. I told your disciples to cast it out, and they could not do it. And he answered them and said, O unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit threw him into a convulsion, and falling to the ground, he began rolling around, and foaming at the mouth. And he asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. It has often thrown him both into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, 
All things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe. Help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. After crying out and throwing him into terrible convulsions, it came out, and the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and raised him, and he got up. And when he came into the house, his disciples began questioning him privately. Why could we not drive it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. So this is kind of a disappointing situation for Jesus to come back to. He's taken Peter, James, and John up on the mountain. So this is the remaining nine apostles who are down at the foot of the mountain. And there's a man with a demon-possessed son who's come to them. And when Jesus comes back, they're arguing. He's like, okay, what's, what's going on here? And he says, I, you know, this is what's happened to my son. These are the, this is some, one of the most vivid descriptions of demon possession we have in the New Testament, as far as like what would happen to a child if they were possessed by a demon. It's terrifying. As a parent, I, I can't imagine what this man has been through. And think about it from this man's perspective. He's come to Jesus. Well, Jesus is out of the office right now. Speak to his apostles. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, he brings him to the apostles who Jesus gave authority to cast out demons back in chapter 3. Yes. Says, and they had been doing that. And they're like, okay, we got this. And they try to cast it out. And it won't come out. And so this man, I, I feel for this man. He has just been, the disciples of Jesus have failed him. And his faith in Jesus has been shaken a bit by that. And so when Jesus himself comes down the mountain, he explains the situation. And so he says, if you can have compassion on us, or if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us, verse 22. You can see his shaken faith there. He's like, well, I thought the disciples could do something. So like, if you can do something. And Jesus responds, if you can, he can calls him out on it. All things are possible for the one who believes. And I love the man's response. I believe. Help my unbelief. Yeah. And it, that's fair. What had he just witnessed? <laughs> he had witnessed an unsuccessful eradication of this demon. You know, it wasn't happening. And so there is now some unbelief on his part. He's saying, I really do believe, but I need you to help the unbelief that I just experienced. And I need your help with that. Lord. Yeah. I mean, and don't we just feel that? I mean, I relate to that so much. There are ways in which I trust the Lord and have seen him work and am grateful for his work in my life. But man, I still struggle sometimes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I do believe, help my unbelief. I mean, yeah. that's really where we all are uh, in our journey of faith is we're trying to get those areas where we're struggling out of our life. And I think Areas in our life of doubt are going to arise. Like, I think the Lord knows that. And so this should be a prayer that we're praying regularly. Father, help me. Help me when I am even struggling to trust you, even though I love and I do trust you. And I think this is an appropriate thing to be praying regularly. Yeah. I'll also say another great takeaway from this account is that we need to put our trust in Jesus and not in the disciples of Jesus. Yeah, uh, It's a great blessing to have other disciples, and that's a huge benefit of being part of God's kingdom. But here, the disciples fail this man 
and his faith in Jesus is shaken because of that. And so we need to realize one, don't be a stumbling block for other people. We'll see more than just a minute. But second of all, when the disciples fail you, don't turn your back on Jesus that's right. and don't lose faith in him because that's going to happen. I mean, God's people are not perfect. If you learn anything from the Bible, it's that God's people are far from perfect, but God is perfect. Mm-hmm. And so we have to be really careful when our faith gets shaken up, uh, when people fail us and we need to not blame God for the failures of other people. So as Jesus often does, he takes complete control of a situation when he walks in. And, uh, you know, he rebukes the unclean spirit. He he even calls it names. You deaf and mute spirit. I command you, come out of him. Do not enter him again. And uh, it put up a little bit of a fight, but there he goes. And he, he run the the demon goes out of the boy, but it it looked like the boy was dead Mm -hmm. because of the, the just horrible things the demon had done. And Jesus took him by the hand and raised him up and the boy got up. That's right. And so afterward, the disciples asked, she's like, why couldn't we cast it out? This Good question. Yeah. And the text doesn't say specifically, but Jesus' answer gives us a little window into what might have happened. He says, this kind cannot be driven out except by prayer. And it really may be that the disciples, when Jesus gave them you know, the ability to cast out demons, of course they have to rely on the power of God to do that. And that maybe they had been praying about other times they cast out demons, but this time... They thought, well, we got this. Mm-hmm. And so they tried to cast it out without praying. And that's why they couldn't cast it out. So that may be what's happened. Again, we have to kind of read between the lines to get there. But, I mean, how many times are we trying to serve the Lord and do things for him? But we're not praying about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a, I know, there's a complete parallel. We're talking about miraculous things here. But still, like, wow, um, shame on me, shame on us for the times that we... Um, try to just do things our, on our own wisdom, our own way. Yeah. And uh, so th- this, I think, is a powerful principle. Yep, we got to do things God's way. That's right. So um, they go on from there. This is picking up in Mark 9, verse 30. Uh, they went on from there and passed through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand the saying, and were afraid to ask him. And when they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. So again, Jesus warns them about his death and specifically his resurrection. And uh, he did that back in 831. He's going to do it again in 931. And then he'll do it in 1032. So it's kind of easy to remember those three. just missed it by one. I know, so I know. But this is the second time he's told them about this, that he is going to die, and specifically that he is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They're going to kill him, and three days later he's going to rise. But Mark lets us know in verse 32, they did not understand this statement, and 
They were afraid to ask yeah. him. Well, I mean, last time Peter yeah. uh, tried to clarify things uh, for Jesus, uh, that didn't go so well for Peter. So. No, it didn't. And so it's kind of like the teacher, you know, that's asking a question, but everyone's afraid to answer because they know they're supposed to know the answer, but they don't. Right. right. So you just stay quiet instead. And that's kind of where the disciples are at this point. And they reveal just how much they don't understand right. about the nature of the kingdom in this very next account. Because, and again, you can just see like the parent and the kid happening yes, here. Absolutely. It's like, okay, what were you talking about? And then there's that silence that like the parent knows like why they asked and the kid knows. And they're like, oh, we don't want to say anything because <laughs> we were talking about he's the greatest and trying to figure that out. And so similar to the last chapter where after Peter has just said, oh, you're not going to die. And then Peter's like, or Jesus is like, all right, guys, powwow time. you got to take up your cross and follow me. Jesus has another powwow here about greatness in the kingdom. Yeah. And he's like, all right, listen. Well, and look at his posture, verse 35. Sitting down. He called the 12 to him. I, I love slowing down and thinking about that. He's just kind of like, all right, guys, br- bring it in. You've got to have another heart-to-heart about this kind of thing. And he says, if you want to be first, okay, you want to be first, got to be last. And you got to be servant of all. The way up is down. Yeah, some translations here will say he shall be last of all and slave of all. Yeah. Which is further shows the seriousness of what Jesus is talking about. How low you're supposed to go for other people. That's right. And so then, object lesson, calls a child over. And he says, alright, this is what greatness looks like. you got to accept one of these little ones. Like you accept me. And... That's a powerful thing because children, there is an innocence about children. There is a humility about children that they're willing to listen, willing to uh, to change and grow, um, that the disciples need to understand right here. Because this, there's going to be a real struggle among God's people for who's the greatest. Mm-hmm. And people lose sight of a crucified Christ and they start to exalt themselves. And Jesus is saying, listen, if you want to be... In the kingdom, you got to be like a little child. And it's amazing how we can get just so easily distracted. These guys are following Jesus Christ, the most perfect man that's ever existed. And yet here they are talking about who's the best. Mm-hmm. We do that, as Stephen said just a second ago. We end up discussing uh, amongst ourselves who's greatest and maybe in humble brag ways. <laughs> yeah. But we lose sight of who the most important one is. Mm-hmm. And Jesus, again, he's just said, I'm going to die, and then I'm going to rise again. The way Jesus is going to become the greatest is by sacrificing his own life and becoming the servant of everyone. And so the disciples still don't see that. And so he's explaining it to them in different ways. In the last chapter, it was, you take up your cross and follow me. Here it was, look at this child. Here's the example of greatness in the kingdom. So that gets us into the last section of this chapter here. Um, Pick up in verse uh, 38 through 50. Sure. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we've tried to prevent him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not hinder him, for there is no one who will perform a miracle in my name and be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For he who is not against us is for us. For whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because of your name as followers of Christ, truly I say to you, he will not lose his reward. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe to stumble, it would be better for him if with a heavy millstone hung around his neck, 
he had been cast into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than having your two hands to go into hell into the unquenchable fire, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. If your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than having your two feet to be cast into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your eye causes you to stumble, throw it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt becomes unsalty, with what will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. So I think these these two accounts really go together. Uh, Jesus... Uh, has been teaching, and he's given his disciples authority to cast out demons. There's a lot of other work that Jesus was doing that we don't know about. And so John here, it's interesting, one of the sons of thunder, pipes up and says, Teacher, we saw somebody casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him. Why? Because he was not following us. Us. Right. It's not that he wasn't following Jesus. He wasn't with us. And so... Yeah, I mean, he's doing this good deed, and he's doing it in the name of Jesus, but he's not in our group, so we try to stop him. And Jesus says, don't stop him. The one who does a mighty work in my name will not be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. It's like, why why would you try and stop him from doing a miracle? And it just goes to show, these disciples, they still are not seeing Jesus clearly. Mm -hmm. They don't know what his expectations for them are yet, and they they still don't know exactly how to act. Right. And, and Jesus says the one who's not against us is for us. And there's a point here that, John, you, you're, you're focused on yourself. You're focused on your group. And that doesn't mean you're the only ones that Jesus is working with. And so you need to be careful not to cause people to stumble by telling them to stop doing things in the name of Jesus. Because you think they're not with Jesus, but actually they're with Jesus. They're just not with you in your immediate in your immediate group. And I mean, I, I think back to what my mama used to tell me: "You worry about you. <laughs> you know, don't, don't worry about anybody else. You worry about you. You do your thing, and leave everyone else alone." When the siblings start to pick at each other, exactly. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so he says in verse forty-one: "Truly, I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward." Um, if we're treating other people serving Jesus with honor, that's a good thing. Sure. If we're trying to stop other people who are serving Jesus, that's a stumbling block. Right. And so that gives way into this next section. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, man, this is this is a harsh statement of Jesus. And it is it, a vivid image. It'd be better to have this huge rock. A millstone was like this huge rock that they would use to grind grain and things like that. Mm. And it'd be better to have like this huge rock wrapped around your neck and thrown in the ocean. There's only one thing that happens in that situation. Oh, you're dead. You're drowned. And he says, it. if anything causes you to sin, cut it off. He uses the example of the hand and then the foot and then the eye. And anything in our life that we realize is pulling us down toward hell, causing us to sin, it's better to cut that thing off than to, with our whole body, 
be thrown into the unquenchable fire. I mean, Jesus uses imagery of hell here that is just terrifying to think about. But it's real. Now, I do think Jesus is speaking with hyperbole about cutting off your hand. Sure. You cut off your right hand. You, got a you left. can still sin with your left hand. Yeah. But the, the point Jesus is making is the extreme measures we have to be willing to take to not let sin dominate our life. Get rid of stumbling blocks. And don't be a stumbling block to other people. I mean, this is hugely important in all sorts of different sin. And we could have a whole discussion here right now. Um, but I think about even sin like the sin of lust, uh, which is manifest a lot of times today in the sin of pornography. And if your technology is causing you to sin, figure out how to cut that off, whether yeah. it's putting filters on it or accountability software. Or, or even if you have to, get get rid of the smartphone. <laughs> go, right. go to the flip phone if you need to. You do not need an internet connection to get to heaven. You do need to be holy. Yeah. And so that's just one example among many that we could use. If there are relationships that are causing you to sin, you need to cut those off. If there's a, a particular place that you go that causes you to sin, you need to cut that off. Yeah. If there's substances that you're using that are sinful, cut those things off. It's worth it to get into well, life. And let's talk about what's on the table here. Hell. I don't, I, a lot of people have their different views of what their Jesus looks like. The Jesus we see in Scripture tells people if you don't get straight, you can go to hell. You will go there. And he is not taking that lightly. That's right. He's very clear here. And again, he's having this conversation with his disciples who are in danger of causing other people to sin because they're telling him to stop doing what they're doing. And he says, you don't be a stumbling block and you make sure you get all the stumbling blocks out of your life. Yes. This is serious business. Jesus doesn't mess around and we need to take his words to heart. These are the words of Jesus. And we can't erase them or just try to get around them. Now, Jesus is going to provide forgiveness. Yeah. And solution and, and purpose that right. before we didn't have. Um, but you got to start here. Yeah. you got to start by cutting it off. We can't just erase these words of Jesus. Right. And so at the end, um, he says, everyone will be salted with fire. Mm -hmm. uh, there's times where I have a hard time with these last couple of verses. But my understanding would be that Jesus will say in a, the parallel account in Matthew 18, listen, Temptations are going to come. Everyone's going to go through some trial. And sometimes fire is talking about hell. Here I think he shifts a little bit and talks about fire in the sense of temptation and trial. Everyone's going to have a, some of that in their life. They're going to be salted with fire. But don't be the person through whom the temptations come. Don't be the stumbling block. Everyone's going to have fire in their life. Don't be the source of the fire and end up in the fire. But you be salt instead. Salt is good, and Jesus will talk about being the salt of the earth. That, that's preserving the world. That's being a source of life and a source of uh, health, whereas being a stumbling block is a source of rottenness and decay. That, that's what's happening to the world. So he says salt is good, but the salt has lost its saltiness. How will you make it salty again? It, this is pointless. If you're not living right, if you're, not, if you're being a stumbling block instead of being salt— you're just going to get thrown out. Mm -hmm. Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. I think this goes back to this whole conversation they've been having about arguing about who's the greatest. John trying to stop other people. And saying, like, one of the ways that you can be a light and be salt is by being at peace with each other. 
And this will be a teaching that is echoed throughout the rest of the New Testament, whether it be between Jews and Gentiles or any other types of uh, different types of people. Um, it all comes back to this. Be at peace with one another and show the world that you are united in this common cause of Jesus Christ. That's right. So um, we'll wrap up there for this week. Um, next episode in Mark 10, we're going to see several stories that go together about the lowly being exalted and the exalted being humbled. If this podcast is helpful to you, please uh, subscribe, rate, review, um, so we can reach more people, um, especially right now with a lot of people being home. We're hoping that people will uh, be listening to the podcast. Um, our community Bible readings right now are at a standstill, uh, but we are doing um, some things through Facebook Live. Uh, again, if you visit our, our Facebook page, Capital City Christians, um, you'll see some other studies that are going on right now. Virtually. Um, that's right, virtually. So please contact us, uh, 717-585-0949. Uh, shoot us an email, capitalcitychristians at gmail.com. Or for more information, check us out on the web at capitalcitychristians.com. Thanks so much for listening.